The book of 1 John chapter 1, and welcome those outside as well. God bless you. May the Lord bless you. John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, right before um, Jude and the book of Revelations in the back of your Bible. So John the Beloved here was writing, we got to remember who John the Beloved was. He was the one who laid, at the Last Supper, he laid his, his head on the, on, on the chest of Jesus, spent time with Jesus. He called himself the one in whom Jesus loved. He, so he, he even mentions that he outran Peter to the gravesite. So um, this is the John that we're talking about here. So John the Beloved was writing to the next generation of Christians. So let's read the beginning of this letter this morning, verses 1 through 4. He says, that which was from the beginning. And I'll stop right there. Kind of an odd way to start a letter, but that who he's speaking of is Jesus. This is who he's speaking of, Jesus. We've got to remember the audience in whom he was speaking to. He said, that which we heard, which we seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bore witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things I write to you, that your joy may be full. But notice here, he says that Jesus, from the beginning, he said, we heard hearing Him. He said, our eyes saw Him, we looked upon Him, we've handled Him. We bear witness and we declare this to you. This is Jesus who he's talking about. This is the one in whom the Old Testament prophets wrote. John also wrote in the book that bears his name in John chapter 1 verse 45. Remember when they saw Jesus and John wrote that Philip was so excited after meeting Jesus that he said he went out and he went to Nathaniel and he told him, we have found the very person in whom Moses and all the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus. The son of Joseph. The one from Nazareth. And he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But Paul, but John was writing about Jesus. And he said, this is the one. We've seen him. We've heard him. Our, our eyes looked upon him. We touched him. Our hands have touched him. The one in whom eternal life. Why is John writing this? The number one reason John was writing this was he didn't want those under his care to be misinformed. Why? John was writing this letter probably about 95 to 110 A.D. So some 60 years after being trained by Jesus for three and a half years. 
Imagine what he saw being trained by Jesus, experiencing all the miracles, hearing the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, watching him, experiencing him. John was at the cross with Jesus and he heard the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. He saw as they punctured his side. He, he bore witness. He was there, uh, eyewitness at the trial of Jesus where they beat him. He was there. He was seeing him. He was touching him. He was experiencing the miracles. He was an eyewitness account. And he even touched him after the resurrection. And he wrote the words in John chapter 20 and verse 20 that, that when Thomas didn't believe, he said, when, he, when Thomas saw him, he said, he called him my Lord and my God. Jesus was God. And John knew it. And John was saying, this is the one whom we've experienced. He was an eyewitness account. Notice he, why he says we. Notice he says, we seen him. He's pointing back to the church fathers, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And he was one of the, he was the last remaining witness, John was. And he didn't want the church to be misinformed about the right Jesus. The right Jesus. You see, Jesus had 12 eyewitnesses that gave an account. They knew Jesus. It's kind of like, I, I know Pastor Joe. I've been with Pastor Joe serving in ministry for 22 years here at Calvary Chapel Cornerstone. 22 years I've been with him. Actually, I've been with him longer because I was a part of his marriage ministry at Golden Springs. So I know Pastor Joe. I've served under him. I know what he expects after 22 years of ministry. I've been with him through the Bible twice. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I have thousands of notes from Pastor Joe on my iPhone. Since the iPhone came out, I have every sermon that he's ever preached. I know Pastor Joe. I know his likes and I know his dislikes. What he expects from ministry. What he, how he wants ministry to run. I know where he is 7 o'clock every Sunday morning. For the past 22 years, give or take, vacation times. Very rare. I know where he's at on 7 o'clock in the morning. Why? I've been with him for 22 years at 7 o'clock in the morning. I know where he is at 5 o'clock uh, on Sunday afternoon. I know where he is on Wednesday night at 6 p.m. I know his habits here when no one's here. I know when he comes. I know... My pastor. And John knew Jesus. He spent time with him. He knew Jesus. He didn't want anybody to be misinformed about the person who he's speaking about. It's like somebody coming and saying, oh, this is what Pastor Joe teaches. This is what he, what he expects. And they don't really know him. And I'm an eyewitness account. So John here was an eyewitness account and he didn't want the church to be misinformed about who Jesus was. The second reason John was giving this account, he didn't want the church to be misled by false teaching that was going around during the time 
here as John was writing. Because when we are misinformed about Jesus, we will be misled. And the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 24 verse 5, he said, For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Will deceive many. John also writing so that you would know the real Jesus. This, the, he wants you to know the real Jesus. Why? Because there was many professing Christ. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 24, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets that shall deceive. Also Mark chapter 13, verse 22, For many Christ and false prophets shall seduce people. So Jesus warned us. He warned his disciples. He warned John that they will deceive and dis, dis, seduce you by a different Jesus. Now, I like to make a point about Jesus because many have different ideas about Jesus. We make a, uh, what's the, the first commandment? Don't make a false God, right? Jesus is God. And a lot of, what a lot of people do is they make Jesus after their own likeness. Oh, my Jesus is this and my Jesus is that. Let me give you an example. We all know a guy named John. You know, think about it. You all know a guy named John in your family, in your circle, or you went to school with somebody named John. Think about that person right now. Can you think about that person? Think about his character. And I'm going to ask you a question couple questions. Did your John have long hair in the 70s down to his back of his, uh, his pant belt? Does your John that you're thinking about used to drive lowriders in the 70s, had bombs and still has a bomb today? Does your John every Christmas used to give his little brother a bike? Is that your John you're thinking about? Think about it. You could shake your head. Is that the John you guys are thinking about? No, okay. What's the difference? The John I'm speaking about is my brother. He's my brother John. I grew up with him in the household. In the 70s, he had some hippie long hair. Cool dude, you know. He, he used to drive bombs. And, uh, you know, every Christmas, he would buy me a bike. Every Christmas without fail. So the same thing with Jesus. There are many people who have an idea of Jesus, who Jesus is, but they don't really know Jesus. And they're reinventing Jesus. Adopting qualities to fit their system to draw Jesus because Jesus definitely made an impact on culture, on history. There are many opinions about Jesus. Everyone knows John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who should uh, believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, I love that Jesus. But I don't love the Jesus that talks about John 3, 36. Do you guys know what John 3, 36 says? It says, 
He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, you want the Jesus of love, but you don't want the Jesus of wrath, the reinventing Jesus. The Muslims reinvented Jesus. 400, uh, 600 years after Christ, they come up with a narrative of Jesus is just a prophet. That's what Islam teaches. Jehovah Witness Jesus is a different Jesus. The Mormon Jesus is a different Jesus. So I want to stick to the biblical count of Jesus. And in this time, there were many false Christs. And John didn't want his listeners to be misinformed about the person of Jesus. He was an eyewitness account. He didn't want them to be misled. And the number three reason he was writing is because he didn't want them to miss out. Because if you're misinformed, you're misled, and you're going to miss out on who Jesus is. Knowing Jesus personally. He said he, he heard, he saw, he handled. But he also said that you could have fellowship with him through the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. We could have fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Here it says in the text. And not only have fellowship this way with the Father through Jesus Christ. He said we will have a fellowship with a spiritual family. And I praise the Lord for our family here at Cornerstone. You guys are family. And then he says having eternal life with the Father through Jesus Christ only. You could only have eternal life through Jesus only. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died for you and on the third day He rose again so that if we would repent and put our faith and trust in Him, we could have everlasting life. And having done so, that your joy would be full. Because happiness is fleeting. But your joy would be full, he says. Jesus wants you to have full joy in having a relationship with him and the Father. Meditate on these things. Think about these things that we're talking about here. He doesn't want you to be misformed. He doesn't want you to be misled. And he doesn't want you to, be, he doesn't want you to miss out Meditate on those things. But here in verse 5, he says, and this is the message that we've heard from him, Jesus, and we declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, Jesus, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. He doesn't want you to be misformed. He doesn't want you to be misled. He doesn't want you to miss out. Meditate on these things. But this is His message. This is His message to the church. After this declaration, John wants to make sure 
that you, the believer, he's speaking to the church, are headed in the right direction. John makes it clear this is not his personal interpretation. This is not John's view. This is not my view. This is not Pastor Joe's view. This is Jesus' view. This is God's view. This is his message. He said this is the message that we've heard from him and we declare to you. So, unfortunately, today, many believers make the mistake of believing and reading the Bible in a way where they say, what this means to me. What this means to me. And that's not good to go through the Bible and say, what this means to me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 Peter said, knowing first that no, that no prophecy of Scripture is, is of any private interpretation. So when reading the Bible, it's always author's intent. What did the author mean? That's the intent. That's how I have to receive it. So, reading the Bible... It's author's intent. It's God's word to his people. God never changes, neither does his word. So here John is making clear that this message he was preaching is the message he has from God. It isn't his own personal side note interpretation or view of it. It's a biblical view. And it's good to have a biblical view of Jesus. Form your opinion from Genesis to Revelations about the person of Jesus. He said, John said, Moses wrote about him. The prophets wrote about him. So all the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. The New Testament speaks of Jesus. So my opinion of Jesus is a biblical view of Jesus. It's not my own personal view. But this message is about God. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all, we see it says here. But here in verse 8 it says, If we say, He's speaking to the church, If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if He says we have fellowship with God, we should be walking in the light, He's saying. Psalms chapter 89 verse 15 says, Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your continence. And this speaks of having fellowship and walking with God. I'm having fellowship and walking with God. I have a relationship with Him. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Speaking of God, His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. They give direction to my life. And is my direction or my walk or my manner of life matching the word of God? That's how I know I'm headed in the right direction. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 5 says, let us walk in the light of the Lord. I, I went for a walk yesterday. I was meandering, me and my wife were meandering, roaming the neighborhood. At lunchtime, uh, I just said, hey, let's, let's go for a walk. We had fellowship. 
We talked along the way. We went the same direction. It was a joyful time. It was insightful. We talked about many things. We're walking in the same direction. And that should be our walk with the Lord. We're going in the same direction. We have fellowship with Him. But verse says, 6 says here, serves as a warning to the Christian. Not speaking to non-believers here. He's speaking to the church. The letter is to the church. He says, if we say we have fellowship with Him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Walking in darkness is obviously there is an absence of light. There's an absence of light of presence. Think of it like doing things as if He isn't around. You see, God is omnipresent. And He's omniscient. He knows all things. And some people live in such a way while in church or around Christians, they behave a certain way. And when you're not in the presence of Christians, you think you could get away with whatever you're doing in darkness. You can't fool God. There's an absence of light. That's why it's Oftentimes, the Christian, the biblical Christian, doesn't get invited to the parties or certain places. Why? They don't want the light around. Not that you're the light, but the light that is in you. Messes with the conscience. They don't want you around. It's like having a cop around. You want a cop when I'm speeding down the freeway? So an absence of presence. Is there an absence of presence? Are, are you doing things like that? An absence of a continual walk in the God's ways, even when you're alone. Is there an absence of, it says here, practicing the truth? Are you walking in God's ways? Are you walking a life that is given to us the moral compass of the word of God, are we living according to it? Or is there an absence? John here is making it clear that we can be misguided. We can be walking in darkness and thinking we have a relationship with the Lord or we're having fellowship with God by going to church, being religious. The light of God's word is a gauge to see where we're headed. Are we walking in opposite directions, Christian? Then what's prescribed is a manner of life for us. If so, we are not having fellowship with Him. So there's no fellowship with Him if you're walking in different directions. Say, I want to go out to walk with my wife and I say... All right, honey, let's go for a walk. And I start going that way. And she starts following me. And I say, wait, wait. you go that way, I'll go this way. Why? Because I want to go this way. I want to do my own way. And that's what we're doing. It's an absence of practicing the truth. We could be walking in 
opposites of directions and thinking we have fellowship with God. So there's no fellowship with God. We could also tell by the, our manner of life, is it comparable in the Word of God? Is my life match the Word? This makes it clear where you're headed. Am I walking according to the light? Am I walking with God who is the light? Or am I walking down a dark, deceptive path of self-deception? Why is John warning the church? He's warning because we can make mistakes. We can have an error in judgment and most likely we are self-deceived because of our own sin. Look at verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Self-deception. Self-deception. That's the worst thing. You're, you're, you're only fooling yourself. You're deceived. Why? What has caused you to be deceived in thinking you have fellowship with God? You're walking in a wrong direction. It's sin. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sin has a cost. We see this in Romans chapter 20, uh, 6, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. There's consequences to sin. There's consequences to sin. And, and John is, is warning his readers why he understands the wrath of God is headed down when you're walking that dark path and you're out of fellowship with God. We are told in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once, then after this, the judgment. We're all going to stand before God and account for our sins. And that's bad news on the day of judgment if we're walking in sin. So we don't want to be wrong on that day. We don't want to be wrong about Jesus. Why? Because when we're misinformed, we're misled, when we're going to miss out. God doesn't want that. This is the message. This is truth. Truth is hard. But truth is good. Points me in the right direction. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, listen, listen to this very carefully. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Jesus speaking of himself, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and that word Lord means master, master, shall enter the kingdom of God. Let me read that one more time. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. For many will say in that to me in that day. Many will say to Jesus in that day. Lord have we not prophesied in your name. And cast out demons in your name. And done many wonders in your name. And I will declare to them. I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. No relationship. No fellowship. They weren't walking in the light. They had a religion, but they never knew Jesus Christ personally and intimately. 
And the second thing here, it says in verse 23, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, the line is drawn in the sand. There's a line drawn in the sand and you're willfully just stepping over. You know better. And you're just stepping over the line continually. Sin is deceptive. It would be such a horrible thing to think we are going to heaven and miss out. This, miss out, this miscalculation has eternal consequences. My miscalculation and thinking of who Jesus is in my relationship with Him, I misinform, I'm misled, I'm going to miss out. Why? Because I'm not listening to the message, the truth. In my relationship with Jesus, if I'm off, I'm miscalculating and there's consequences. Jesus said it's a place of weeping, eternal weeping, a place of torment, a, a place of gnashing of teeth, a place of darkness. And Jesus described this place in Luke chapter 16 that you will have all your senses, your five senses you will remember your life. You will remember your sin. You will remember your rejection. You will remember this message. You will experience things that the Lord doesn't want you to experience. Why? Because you're deceived in sin. You're deceived. So in verse 9... We see how to make it right with God. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It matters what happens now. It doesn't matter what happened when I went to make the altar call 10 years ago. It matters your, your life matters now. Because you're not promised tomorrow. Sin is deceptive. So we need to make things right with God. We need to get back on track with God. We need to fellowship with Him. And it starts with confession. Here in verse 9 it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess our sins. We blow it. We need to confess our sins. Father, forgive us. It says he's faithful to forgive us. But we got to confess. We got to give it up. He says he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sin has a cost. Don't think, don't take, here's the thing. We as Christians take sin lightly sometimes. The world surely does. But sin has a cost. I think of my sin. I'm not perfect. Sin simply means missing the mark of moral perfection. I miss the mark. I sin. I don't live all the time according to God's word. I blow it. That's sin. I miss the mark. And to go to heaven, I have to be perfect. Impossible. Impossible by my standards. If I sin... I did the calculations. If I sin 25 times a day for 365 days, that's 
9,125 sins that I've committed in that year. If I sin 25 sins a day, 365 days equals 9,125 sins a year. Multiply that by, I'm 55, multiply that by 50 years, giving myself five years of grace. That comes to 456,250 sins I've committed over my lifetime. And I'm giving myself grace there. Because I know I've sinned more than that. Multiply that by the 7.8 billion people who are on earth currently. All that sin. All that sin. Add in 6,000 years of human history. All their sins. That's a lot of sin. That's a big transaction. The Bible says that Jesus paid for the sins. The sins of the world were laid on him on the cross. Imagine that. All my sin, all your sin is laid. The wrath of God is laid on Jesus Christ. John 3.36. He went to the cross on behalf of all of us. He died for all our sins. Our debt was paid. So that if I repent of my sin, I put my faith and trust in Him, His perfect righteousness, sinless, perfect life is put to my account. How can, if Jesus is only a man, how can He pay for all our sins? He can. He has to be eternal. Equal justice. He paid for all our sins. He's eternal. God put on flesh. Lived a perfect life, sinful, sinless life, sinless life, perfect. Died for our sins, our sins, Isaiah 53 says, were placed upon him. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed, it says. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He died for all our sins. So that if we would repent and put our faith and trust in Him, His perfect righteousness is put to our account. One of the seven sayings on the cross was to telestai. It is finished. His last words on the cross. It is finished. It's paid in full. Put it to their account. But we need to ask for forgiveness of our sins. See, Jesus is God. In John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, John tells us that he was, Jesus was the creator. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, it says Jesus is the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. John wanted you to know this. Why? Because he doesn't want you to go into eternity without Christ. So we need to check our hearts. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to get things right with God. But John's last warning here in verse 10, as John concludes, 
He says if we, have, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word of God is not in us. Imagine calling God a liar. I'm good. It's no big deal. It's, in, it's that important to God that he would stress the message. Why? Because we're without excuse. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 22. It says that we're, we're, we don't have an excuse. The wrath of God is revealed against uh, revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and righteousness. Sup- you know you're in sin. You know you're doing wrong. And you're suppressing it. Ungodliness, unrighteousness. Suppressing the truth. If you don't want, think, if you think you can get away with sin, you're just suppressing the truth and judgment is coming. Verse 19 of Romans chapter 1 says, God has shown it to us. We all have a conscience. God God has created us with a moral conscience to know right and wrong. We know when we're wrong. We know when we sin. We know when we blow it. We have that internal consciousness that God has given us to know right and wrong. God's going to hold us accountable on the day of judgment. That's why it's important for us to repent and ask for forgiveness. Romans says it, it says that we're without excuse. It says although they knew God, could have a knowledge of God. But they did not glorify God, and nor were they thankful. But they were fruitful in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Wow. Going live, going through church, thinking you have a relationship with God. Unconfessed sin, unrepentance, not getting right with God, not fellowshipping with God. Not walking in the same direction. Although they knew God, it says in Romans, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became fruitful in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's why it's important for us to read our Bibles. You know, I want to encourage you, as me and Pastor Joe do, we teach here systematic, systematically, we teach from Genesis to Revelations and then we go over again. I've been, like I mentioned before, with Pastor Joe twice. Do it personally. It's that important. If you haven't read from Genesis to Revelations, do that. You will grow. And then as you go through it again, you will grow and you will know. And man, you will see things that, wow, I'm blown away. Author's intent always but now you're in a different season in your life. So I want to encourage you, get in the Word, get to know the real Jesus. Truth never changes. Jesus is the truth. He says, I am the way to heaven, right? I am the truth. He never changes. There's only one way. There's only one truth. 
And he says, I am the life. Man, do you want to experience the things? Do you want to be taught by the Lord? Do you want to you know, have your joy full? I don't want to be a cup half filled. I want to be a full cup. And I want to be an overflowing cup for the Lord. I just want the Lord to just have his way. Why? Because the truth never changes. I do. That's why I need to get right. Get in the Word, Christian. Because there's many Bible teachers or professing people who have opinions about Jesus who've never read the, the, the Scriptures. They form their opinion about Jesus here and there, but never forming their, a full biblical view of Jesus. Prophecy. Man, read the Bible. Prophecy. There's no other book like the Bible. New World Translation doesn't compare. The Book of Mormon doesn't compare. The Book of Vetus doesn't compare. The Quran doesn't compare. None of these books have prophecies, detailed prophecies like the Bible. Detail. Where Jesus was going to be born, what family he was going to be born from, how his ministry was going to take place, what he was going to do, what was going to happen at the cross. There was going to be gamblers, they were going to pierce his hands and his feet thousands of years before all these things happened. Micah 5, 2, he was going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be born of a virgin, Isaiah. He's going to be born of a seed of a woman, Genesis chapter 3. It's amazing prophecy in the Bible. No other book can compare. So who am I getting my sources from about Jesus? The Bible, Why? prophetic powerful it has a united message this has a united message from genesis to revelation that we're sinners and we need a savior from genesis to revelation it teaches we are sinners we miss the mark judgment is coming we need to get right we need the savior from genesis to revelations it teaches it answers the biggest question what's going to happen when i die Why are there seven days in a week? Genesis. Why are there winter, spring, summer, fall? Genesis. Why do you need a man and a woman to procreate? Genesis. All the answers are in Genesis. On the word of God. Prophecy. So you have prophecy. You have a night and message. It answers the biggest questions. What is life after death apart from God? Because it's the truth. It teaches us wisdom. It has a historical content. It's historical. It's true. These things, these places, events, they happen. They were eyewitnesses. You have external witnesses who give account to these biblical accounts. It's historically accurate. You know, I read my Bible, I read uh, about Kings uh, 20, verse 20. I walked through Hezekiah's tunnel. He dug a tunnel, it said, and, and I went under Jerusalem. I walked that tunnel. I've seen where they have these things that Solomon made where all the horses were kept. Man, it, it, this is true, historically. And it's powerful. 
Get in the Word. Know Jesus. And it's powerful. Why? It'll change your life. How do I know? There's proven results. He changes you. He'll transform you through it. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. He'll transform your mind. Transform you. Let Him have His way. And know the real Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, we do thank you for John's message, Lord. We want to be informed. We don't want to be misinformed. Father, we don't want to be misled, Lord, or or miss out on the great things that you promised, Lord, or experiencing the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, we pray, Lord, that the message would your message would speak to our hearts. Lord, if we say we have fellowship with you and we're walking in darkness, Lord, your word says we're lying. Father, you know our hearts. You know when we're lying. You know we need to get right. Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would minister to our consciences right now. Father, where each person is sitting here this morning. Father, we pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here, whether you've been coming here 22 years or this is your first day, the Lord is showing you you need to get right with God. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Right where you're at. Or if you're outside, stand up. Right where you're at. And say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I want to play church. I want to have fellowship with you and a relationship with you. Forgive me of my sins and help me to follow you all the days of my life. And you pray in Jesus' name. And the word says that he will make you brand new. The word says that he will forgive you. He's faithful. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll give you a new start. He will baptize you with His Holy Spirit. And as you walk with Him, He'll cause you to grow. Christian, if you're dabbling in sin this morning, it's a weight. It's weighing you down. The Bible says to... Lay aside every weight and sin that easily ensnares us. You're a believer here and you're dabbling in sin. You're, getting, you're being weighed down. Pray right there where you're at. Father, forgive us. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive me of my sin. Transform us. Empower me to overcome. Help me to be in the Word. Help me to draw near to Jesus. 
Help me to depend upon the power of your Holy Spirit. Make a way of escape. Help me to escape temptation. Through the word of God and prayer. Father, we thank you that your word says if we confess our sins, you're faithful. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would practice the truth. That we as Christians would get in your word to know the truth so that our lives would match the truth. Thank you, Father, so much for this study. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us so much to tell us the truth because the truth never changes. Thank you so much, Lord. And Father, we do thank you for your people and what you've done in their lives. And Father, we thank you for what you're going to do, Lord. We, we say yes and amen. Have your way with us, Lord. And Father, we do pray for the offering, Lord. That you bless it. Father, that we would use it for your glory and the good of your people to build them up. Father, for the gospel to go out, Lord, and to be shared, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we were, were a Bible-teaching church, Lord, that builds the body of Christ up. But not that we would be just stuck in here, Lord, but that we would go out and proclaim the good news to the world. And that we would bring others to Jesus just like um, Philip and Nathaniel, Lord. That we would bring, because we're not misinformed here. We're not misled. And Father, we don't want people to be miss out, miss out. Especially those of you in our own households, Lord. So do a work of your spirit in and through your church, Lord. We ask that you bless the offering this morning. Lord, as your people give unto you, Lord. Help us to be good stewards, Lord. Of our time and our resources, and your word. In Jesus' name we all say, amen.